Otherwise, we are going to be in Ephesians 4 this morning. Now, Ephesians 4 is a radical shift in this letter to uh, the churches, uh, namely the church in Ephesus. And so far, so far we have just looked at what God has done for us. It has been a constant reminder of, of who we are in Christ, God's pursuit of us, God's salvation, all of these things that are true. And the, really, the only way we are supposed to respond to these things so far has been to believe it, to trust it, to know that these things are actually true. And now, now after having laid that foundation in chapters 1 through 3, Paul is ready to go and say, now, now what? What will you do with it? How will you live in light of all of this truth, all of this great salvation that has been offered to you, all of this amazing identity that has been gifted to you, what will you now do with it? How will you live? And that's going to be carried on to the rest of this letter, but for now, we're going to be looking at uh, how we were called, what we were called, what we were called to, so how, what we were called to, and then ultimately, how can we walk in a way that is worthy of that calling? That is worthy of that calling. And how can we do that together? So let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, as we look at uh, what now? How we should walk, given all that is true of us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one or another in, a, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that is true of us. We thank you for the way you've called us. We thank you that you've called us to yourself. And Lord, we ask that as a body, we might walk in a way that is worthy of the things that you have called us to. Father, would you show us who we truly are and would you help us to, to live that out in the world and among one another? Father, we thank you that we are not alone. We thank you that you have not uh, left us as mere individuals here, but that you've given us as this church. Father, would we collectively bring you all the glory that is worthy of all that Christ has done, we pray in his name. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now that, therefore is pulling in everything from the first three chapters of this book. Paul is transitioning from what we call, in, in theological nerdy terms, the indicative to the imperative. All right, indicative. That's just what is true, what is reality. And then the imperative, all right, what do you do now? True to do. And it is always that relationship 
What is true of us, what is true, what has God already done that we are called to believe, and then we transition to the things that we do, all of these commandments and imperatives. And just to, just to drive this home, uh, there are 41 commandments, 41 imperatives in the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, there is one. And you know what it's called? It's remember. It's not even a hard one, all right? It's remember. And the rest of the book has all 40 other commandments in chapters 4 through 6. Now we wonder, okay, why is, it, why is it this system? Why doesn't Paul mix it in so it's not so overwhelming? All right, he separates the two, the truths and the things to do, because the gospel separates the truths and the thing to do. Ultimately, the gospel is not about doing things. It is about what Christ has done for us. Our standing in Christ has nothing to do with what we do. It, it only has to do with what Christ has done for us. And we receive those things by faith, not by doing anything. No, what do we, we, we bring our, our sin and our death and our fallenness. And we believe in the one who has paid for those things and who has washed us clean, and we take on this whole new identity in Christ. And only then are we ever asked to do anything. Only after we've been for, for, like, formed and our identity has been cast, all of this thing is set in stone, and then, and only then, are we ever asked to act like a Christian. And we separate these things because the gospel separates them. You are complete and you are whole in Christ. And then you are asked to walk in that wholeness and that fullness. We must first and foremost believe. Believe and live out of our identity. No amount of law, no amount of habit forming, no amount of rewards and punishments are going to make you a Christian and then live out of it fully and really. So please don't think that this is now the time to, to abandon all that other stuff and focus on the commandments. No. It's to focus more fully on all of the things that are true of us and then go out and live. Parents, you need to help your kids know who they are in Jesus. Not just tell them what they need to do to act like a Christian. Now for kids, kids, you're not looking just for the rules. You're, you're looking for who, who are you in Jesus? What has he done for you? Only then do you ask, well, what, what can I do about it? And all of you, if you are struggling to do, go back to the truths. All right, don't fixate on, on what do I do, what do I do, how do I do it better? No, it's how do I more fully realize who I am and what Christ has already done for me, and then how do I live out of it? So Paul says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So let's summarize the truths here. Let's summarize the indicatives 
And first, we're going to start by looking at, first, how were you called? How were you called to Jesus Christ? How were you called to this new identity? Because it has implications on then how you walk in this world. So, where were you? You were the Ephesian church where if you are a believer, well, if everyone was in this state, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Aliens and strangers to the commonwealth of God. You are part of the kingdom of darkness. You are rebels and haters of God who could not and did not want salvation. And what happened? God called. God called just like Jesus stood outside of Lazarus's tomb and he called. What did he say? He said, Lazarus, come out. Without the calling, Lazarus wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going to come out of the tomb. He wasn't going to pursue Jesus with all of his heart. No, he was dead. In the same way, we are just as dead before God calls us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and calls us to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He calls us into life. And we who are blind can now see. We who have, were deaf can now hear. We who are dead can now walk and pursue and believe in Jesus Christ. But even that is created in us by the call. The Holy Spirit gives us and works in us the faith that unites us to Christ. This is a completely unilateral, one-sided calling to a people who utterly could not respond otherwise. Now that should influence the way that we live should influence the way that we think about our identity. We're going to see that. Now, we were called out of death, and now we have received a calling. What is our new calling? We have been called into life. Eternal life. Spiritual life first, and then spiritual and ultimate life in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ comes again. A life that's characterized by, by fullness of joy. Our calling is one to be the, the objects of God's lavish grace and kindness. That he has, he has stored up all of his grace and all of his mercy and all of his kindness that he wants to display. And he has made those who believe in Christ the objects of all of that love and affection. He was supposed to pour down blessings upon his children. All right, what a calling. He has called us to be the adopted children of God, to be his, his heirs, to be his beloved ones, to be in his family. He has called us to be the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Jesus, Jesus Christ is the head. That he works and, and moves through us and among us. We are his hands and his feet. The ears and the eyes. The very members of the body of Christ. If you are in Christ, you are his workmanship. We've called that the trophy. That you are, you are being shaped. To bring glory to God. And the more he, he lifts up 
this trophy, the more he is glorified and you are glorified in him, you have this amazing relationship to God. You are a holy kingdom. That Christ has become your king and now you are part of a holy nation that is characterized by the, the nature of this king. And we await a, a greater kingdom and our citizenship is in heaven. We are the holy temple. The very dwelling place of God. The place of his glory. That is your calling. And Paul says, in light of all of that, go and walk. Walk in light of all of those true things in a way that is worthy of who you are already in Jesus Christ, the temple, the adopted children, the beloved ones, the objects of his lavish grace and kindness. All of these things. Now, what am I not saying? I'm not saying that if you walk worthily, then you get to be these things. All right. What I, whenever I think of the word worthy, what do I think of? I think of Thor. Do you think of Thor? All right, all right. There's a whole, whole theme of, uh, I had to look this up, Mjolnir. All right, yeah, yeah, I had to look at how to say that. He has his, he has his magic hammer, right? Thor, this is a Marvel character if you're totally out of the loop. Uh, all right. And he has the, the power of Thor, the power of thunder and, and lightning and all that stuff. And he has this magical hammer. Now, one of the themes is you have to be worthy to hold the hammer. And there's times when Thor is not worthy. And he can't lift the hammer anymore. And he's not Thor. Basically, that his identity as, as a superhero is dependent upon how worthy he is. And he either, either attains the ability to have this or not. All right, this, is, this, is, uh, this comic is based upon pagan mythology, and it is thoroughly anti-gospel. <laughs> All right? So let's just say that. All right. Uh, what, what do we say? It's, this, that's the, this is the opposite of the Christian life. It's not that once you're worthy, you get to be these great things. And you, you, earned, you earned to be a son of God. You earned to be the temple. You earned to be a child. No, it's the opposite. He says, no, I, I have made you the son of God, and I'm never taking that away. I don't care what you do. And I've made you the temple. I have made you all of these things. And you can walk in that or not walk in that. It doesn't change who you are. And he's saying walk in, in all of that in a worthy way but I'm not taking it away. All right. Now, just a reminder. Um, we didn't mention this first part. That Paul, Paul writes this as a prisoner for the Lord. He is writing this from prison. And so as you think about, okay, how can I walk in a worthy manner, worthy of the calling to which I have been called? For Paul, he did that in jail. He did that as a prisoner. So we have to let go of some of the categories we might have of worldly worth. Too often I think we see something like this and we think, well, okay, so if I look good, that makes Jesus look good. 
And I better be a respectable member of society. Maybe I should be at least successful because then I show that I'm connected to this successful God. Or I think that maybe if I gain a place for myself, then Jesus gets lifted up a little bit more. All right, that's, that's not the case. He's going to lay out exactly what it looks like to walk worthily. But it is utterly contrary to worthiness in the world. You could be nothing in the world and be walking exactly how you are called to. In fact, Paul, Paul, or, uh, the letter of Hebrews lifts up this group of people, the faithful. And he, what does he say? He doesn't say that they're not worthy. The world's not. Uh, he says the world is not worthy of these people. These people who suffer and are persecuted and are utterly destitute and abandoned by the world. And he says the world is not worthy of them. Not that they did not present themselves worthy of Christ. All right. So my question is, are you living out of your calling? When you consider what you're going to do, do you think, okay, but, but who am I in Christ? What am I in Christ? Who has he said that I am? And is there, am I walking in a way that is worthy of that? Now, that's a very different question than what am I allowed to do or not allowed to do? What are the rules? No, it's am I being true to who Christ has made me to be? And now, throughout the rest of this book, Paul is going to talk about what that looks like. But today, he has made it just a few, a few things Verses 2 and verses 3. You are to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right. There are two categories here. First, we are to walk with all humility and gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. Not just a little bit, all of it. All of the humility and gentleness. And what does that mean? All right, humility. Humility is not hating yourself or disparaging yourself. It's not that. What is humility? Humility is being free from yourself. Being free from being fixated on yourself. Being free from having to focus on yourself and make sure that you're, you're winning the game. No, you're free from your own self-worth and self-focus and self-need. And that's where it can take on two dimensions. It can be a life free from boasting and, and lifting yourself up. The person who is free from pride and who is humble, they, they don't need to tell you how good they are and how great they are, how wealthy they are, how smart they are. Is they... They've stopped focusing on that. doesn't matter. They've found deeper security. All right, but it also doesn't look like this navel-gazing, wringing your hands about wondering if people think you're okay. That's equally self-focused. And obsessed with, like, oh, wait, where, where do I stand in the world? How am I doing? Who, who thinks bad of me? Who thinks, who thinks well of me? That's free from that. 
It's free from all of that, and it is instead free to, to love and to serve. It is free from comparison. No, you, you don't need to find a standing. You are secure in Christ. You know where you stand. You stand at the very highest of heights. You can be quiet. You cannot speak of your own greatness. You're willing to come second or third or even last. You're, you're willing even to die. In the words of Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, why is all humility a worthy way of walking as a Christian? Why is this just naturally who we are? All right, imagine, imagine. There's this, this super wealthy, well-born person. All right, you think kind of like a royal, royalty. This, they have the family name. They have the great inheritance. They have the, the mansion on a manor and... But imagine if that person were just incredibly miserly and constantly lining his own pockets, constantly trying to convince, to, to steal and to, to plunder and to trick people. And what would you think about this person and his family even? I think you'd probably think, that family, maybe they're not as well off as I thought. <laughs> Because he seems like desperate to, to get everything and he needs everything. What is he lacking? Or if you see this person and they're just constantly boasting. And they're talking about how great they are and they're desperate to be, to be loved and admired and get all the attention. What would you think? You'd think, well, what do they not have enough of? They so desperately need it from all these people. All right, that's the reality of, of how we stand in Christ. That if, if God has said that he lavishes his grace upon his people in the riches of all kindness, that every heavenly blessing has been bestowed upon them, and then we're running around desperate to get everything that we can and make sure that we're the highest and have the most, what does it say? It says, eh, God must not be giving them what he, what he said he would. Or at least they don't believe it. Or if they're running around trying to convince us, please like me, please like me, please like me. I need to be admired in your eyes. Like, aren't you a son of God? Is that not enough for you? Is that not a high enough position? Why do you need these people to, to pat you on the back every day? Are you living like someone who is actually a son of God? That you have this, this place in the kingdom, that you, you're the very temple of God. We have these beautiful identities. Are we secure in them? Do we live in them? Or are we still out in the world kind of trying to make a name for ourselves? It's not worthy of who we are. Now, some of you, this is the opposite side of that. Uh, 
Some people think, well, if I'm the temple of God and I am the royal son and I'm all this stuff, then, yeah, people should treat me like I'm something special. Because <laughs> I am, obviously. I'm wonderful then, and, and they're nothing in the universe. And so, yeah, they should serve me. All right, that's where, that's where we move from our calling to how we were called. All right, remind you, Yes, that's who you are, but you were that by adoption. You weren't self-made millionaires. You didn't do anything. You were dead in your transgressions. You hated God. You were enemies of him. And then he, out of all of his grace and, and goodness and love, he chose you and, and changed you and redeemed you. Right? We hold both. It's who you are and how you got there. And if that's the reality of how we got here, we should be incredible, hum, incredibly humble about where we are and where we stand. One of my, uh, our, my professors, he would say that Calvinists should be the most humble people in the world. Why? Because Calvinists, they say, it, you have done utterly nothing to get your salvation. It was nothing of, of yourself. It wasn't because God looked at you and thought, oh, he's great. Uh, no, he's like, he's horrible, but like, I'll show my grace in him because he needs it the most. And that that's how we were saved. He said, that person should be the most humble. But he says, ironically, they're the least humble. And what do they do? They just boast about how they know more about how they're saved instead of thinking about, well, um, I, that's how I'm saved? Maybe I should be humble. <laughs> All right. That's probably more or less convicting to some of you, so uh, take it as you will. Um, all right. There's this second aspect. All right. Gentleness. Gentleness. Now, when we think of gentleness, uh, was Jesus weak? No, Jesus was not weak. We think of Jesus, and he, he talks about how he could call down 12 legions of angels to come and destroy his enemies at any time he wanted. And he did great feats. He did, he did amazing things. And yet, what was he? He wasn't weak, but he was gentle. Especially gentle with those who have, who did come to him and confessed him as Messiah, who confessed their faith in him. He was incredibly gentle. Gentle to people who were profound sinners and, and still in their sin, but who were coming to him in faith. Now I think of uh, I saw the, the, like, have you ever seen videos of like people who are rescuing animals who they like have like fishing line all wrapped around their neck and it's like this little baby seal and it's like oh no the little baby seal is like somehow wrapped all this stuff all right I watched one of these videos and it was like four grown men around this little baby seal and they're trying they're like all huddled around, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? But they're okay, they're all trying to get like the little, but it's wrapped around its neck, and they're like trying not to. All right, what if you were to say, like, what, you're not strong enough to get it off the seal? Just take care of it. Well, no, we're trying not to hurt the little seal. He, he's, he's already in a bad situation, and it's wrapped around his neck. We're not just like, just pry it off. That's not the point. 
And if you are a believer, dealing with other believers in their sin and in their fallenness, all right, what is needed is not elaborate shows of power and just to like decimate people and blow them out of the way in their sin. Because the goal is not to destroy them, it's to destroy the sin. It's to get the sin off, off of their necks that is strangling them. And our, our enemies are not each other. It is sin and it is, it is lies and it is the, the power of Satan that need to be surgically removed from each other's hearts. And this isn't done, you can't do that with this giant sword and just swinging it and thumping your Bibles. This is not how it's done. You're going to destroy one another instead of building them up. We're saving people. We're not destroying them in their sin. And I remind you, has Jesus been gentle with you in your sin? I hope, I hope you know the gentleness of Christ. Who, who, who surgically shows and, and roots out sin by sin by sin, slowly and carefully. If you know that that is Christ and you've experienced that Jesus, then give that. Walk in that. Live like that among one another. That's what Paul is saying. All right, we have a second element here. We are to walk with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is mostly talking about between believers. We are to endure people in their weakness and in their sin because we love them. And because we care about the unity that has been created by the Spirit and we want peace with one another. All right, why do you want peace with one another? Why do you want unity? Right. It costs a lot to get that unity. It costs the very blood of Christ. It costs his utter humiliation in this life. It costs his, his mocking and his death. The calling of the Holy Spirit, the eternal plan of God was to unite these people and to bring peace and who are we to, because of one offense, destroy that peace? And to cast people off because they have committed one sin or because the, I, I am not willing to forgive them. I remember the, the Savior that we serve who says, My Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they were crucifying him. If that is our Savior, then if we are his body, if we are his people, all right, we have to, ought to be extremely patient with one another and bearing with their sin and slow to destroy and slow to reject and slow to move away from. Do you find yourself impatient, quick to divide, quick to condemn, it's not worthy of who you are in Christ, who we are in Christ. Especially if this isn't a fellow believer, 
If Christ has not condemned them, who else is there to condemn? Who are you to condemn if Christ is saying they are forgiven? And who are you to not even pursue diligently and patiently their restoration, their forgiveness, their repentance? How have you been walking? How have you been walking? All right, last section. All right, this is a theme that we haven't talked about and is really important. All right. I've spoken about a lot of these these identities as individualistic. That it's true of just just you and like, oh, like me and my heart and Jesus. Uh, But that's not how this passage is thinking about it. In fact, it's thinking about it in terms of the spiritual community. And that all of these identities are not just you, but no, but us. All the yous in this passage are plural. These are y'alls. All y'all are these things. All right. And so uh, he moves on to talk about like some of the foundation for why we are this and, and to reinforce all this by talking about the oneness that we have in all these things. Our spiritual unity together. Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All right, why is he saying this? He's saying that if, if all of these things, there's only one of them, then you, you share them in common. And that as you are united to these things, you are united to each other. There's only one of these things, then, then you are naturally brought together through each of these things. And how does that reinforce all of this? First, if there is one body, not each of you is, is part of the body, just is the individual body of Christ. No, we are, we are one body. There is one body with Christ at the head. What are the implications of that for how we live and how we act? All right. Can you imagine if one part of a body were proud and boastful and desperate for attention? All right, so you're just going to your body, and then that elbow, the elbow is just constantly, and you're just talking, and like, elbow, elbow, like, look at me, look at me, here I am, give me attention. Look, I, I'm, I'm better than the other elbow, and this elbow starts fighting with this elbow, and what would that be? That'd be like, it'd be ridiculous. And it would destroy the purpose of the body. Yeah, you're trying, to, you're trying to walk along, and like, elbow, I don't need you right now. I'll call you when I need you. And like, you're fine. You're doing exactly what you need to do. You don't need attention right now. And you're, try, you're trying to try to stitch someone up and help them, but like, elbow keeps going... All right. It's foolishness. And for one part of the body to rise up and say, it's most important, or look at me, it, it's not the point. We're, we're walking here. Or, what if one part of the body 
thought that, you know what, this body is just not good enough. And it's just too sinful and too awful in here. And this body is just the worst. And so your liver just jumps out and, and walks away. And plops on down and down. This, and now the body is in really bad shape. And the liver is not doing great either because he doesn't have a body. All right. That's where, like, you can't just cause crazy divisions. You can't, the body can't just decide to, to start destroying itself or separating itself. It's, it's going to die. It's not going to suffer for it. Or what if one part of the body is just like, it's not gentle? All right, so personal example. All right, so uh, I have celiacs, which is really stupid. All right, it uh, means like some of my little white cells flip out when there's, when there's gluten. And instead of like just tolerating it and getting along, you know, they like bring out the bazookas and start blowing everything up. Okay, they're not gentle. And the whole rest of the body is getting destroyed because of it. And the, what do we do? Like, okay, no more gluten because you flip out. All right. That's like if you're not gentle in the body, you start to destroy the body and divide it. And it cannot function. All right. Do you get the analogy? Yes. Uh, sorry, collectively, this is what we, we are trying to do things. And... You are united together under one Christ. There is one spirit. When I think of this, I think of one temple. One temple. And we are all living stones within the temple of God, and he dwells in us by his spirit. All right, can you imagine if one of these stones just decided it didn't want to be there anymore? Or if the stones started fighting with each other and, and destroying the building. First, what would it say about the glory of God that his temple is falling apart and fighting with itself? No, we want to be a temple that like, is, is this beautiful cathedral and each is resting upon the other and content in their place and they know where they stand and, and are built together for the glory of God. And that together we worship and delight in God together. Are you part? Are you part of that temple? Are you acting like part of that building? United to one another for the dwelling place of God. All right. There's one hope. One hope. We've talked a lot about what the one hope is. The one hope is that you are the trophy, the glory of God is, is your glory, and that as you become polished and shiny and big and united and perfect, that God gets the glory and you are lifted up. All right, I know I've acted like you're all one, each an individual trophy, and you all like hang out in heaven like a, a trophy cabinet. All right, it's instead, it's that, no, you are all combined into one single trophy. All right, the trophy should not be fighting with itself. It should not be bickering and divided. And it also, it needs to be engaged in what it's doing. It, if each individual little piece of this trophy is not reflecting the glory of God and focused on the glory of God and delighting in the glory of God, then this is going to be an ugly, dull... It's not going to put up, display the glory of Christ. 
are you individually, are you focused on the glory of God? Are you, are you putting your hope here? Or is your hope going off into other places and, and pulling the trophy apart? We have one Lord. We are one nation with one king. Do we live like citizens of this kingship, of this kingdom? Or are there civil wars? Are there fighting? Do some of us follow the king and others not? All right, there's no room for it. That we say something about our king when we act that way. And we want to show that, like, yes, we are all in submission to this king because he is awesome and he is great. And we love being together as the people of God as one kingdom. There is one God and Father. You are the family of God. God is your Father. You are his children. What kind of father leaves his children to, to compete and fight with one another? Or for one to, to hoard all the Twinkies so that no one else can have any. <laughs> or who, it's just, they're just desperate for attention and you know, refusing to listen to the Father. What does it say about that? What does a family like that say about the Father? No, we want to display the Father in all of His glory. And then we are a family that, that serves and loves one another and cares for one another, that puts each other first. And fights for each other's rights and their, their goodness. All of these things we do together. We do them together and we rise and fall together. We reach heaven together. We glorify him together. And so it matters how we treat one another. We focus on these things that are the same. We focus on the oneness of these things. Because later on in this chapter, in the next verses, we're going to talk about how we're different. There's some things you are not the same as. You're going to have different gifts. You're going to have different callings. You're going to have different roles in the church. And those things will tear you apart if you are not focused on these things that you share in common. If you do not put your oneness here, then you'll have every reason to divide later. Now, last point. If you're struggling in this, if you realize you're divisive and quarrelsome, you are impatient, you are destructive, you are proud, what do you need to do? Not try harder. You need to go back and remember who you are in Christ, where you stand in this body, who you are because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You need to go back and remember his immeasurable love for you the lavish gifts of his kindness and his grace. That you are the temple, that you are the people, God. That you are chosen independent of anything you have ever done. Let us believe those things and then let us go back and do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who we are in Christ. 
we know we would be just, uh, we would not be part of this community. We would not be united to one another. And Father, we know that the divisions that would, would come. And Father, we know that we would have no standing. We would be enemies and aliens. We'd be under your wrath and judgment without Christ coming and changing who we are completely. Father, we thank you for what Christ has done. We ask that you might show us how we are not living out of our identity in Christ, how we are not walking according to all that you've shown us. Lord, would you build us together into all of these beautiful images that Jesus Christ may be lifted up among us and that the way we love may be evident to the world, we pray in Christ's name.